This is the Jets-centric podcast, your home for Winnipeg Jets, talk, thoughts, and takes. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Jet-Centric Podcast. My name is Ryan, and we have a great episode number 21 for your ears today. First up, we will be listening into Chris having a quick chat with Jay Onright of TSN Sports Center with Jay and Dan. After that, Daniel talks with Moose play-by-play announcer Mitch Peacock. Thanks again for lending us your ears. Be sure to use promo code CENTRIC at checkout for 20% off. From where you ask... We aren't too sure either. Enjoy the episode. And welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. You're with Chris, and I'm here with the fourth most popular television personality in Canada behind Lloyd Robertson, Pat Mastriani, and Drake. I'm here with Jay Onright of Sports Center with Jay and Dan, presented by Tim Hortons, of course. Jay, how are you doing tonight? Great, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Man, no problem. We're so excited to have you. So I just wanted to ask you a little bit about the past, how you got started. I know for sure uh, some of where you came from was uh, on uh, Breakfast Television Winnipeg. So a little bit where you're from and how you got in the industry and how you got to TSN. Yeah, I was uh, raised in Athabasca, Alberta, small town in Alberta, and I went to Ryerson for broadcasting for Toronto and Lucked into a behind-the-scenes job while I was going to Ryerson, and they helped me put together a real nice tape that uh, got me my first on-air job at Global Saskatoon. I was there for a year, and then I moved uh, to Winnipeg. Uh, Winnipeg uh, got there in, I want to say, 1999. I was there from 1999 to 2001. Two wow. years. Absolutely loved it. Had a great time. Still have lots of friends from that uh, time in Winnipeg to this day, and I just love the city. It's, uh, it's been well documented. I'm a big fan of Winnipeg, and really, uh, for the time of, of that I was living there, it was just a perfect city for me. I thought it was just a lot of fun. And I went from there back to Toronto, where I uh, anchored at Sports Center with Dan O'Toole from O2 to 2013, then I went to uh, Los Angeles for Fox for four years, from 2013 to 2017, and then I came back to Toronto, and now I'm uh, doing a sort of a different version of Sports Center with Dan, called Sports Center with Jay and Dan, and we've been doing that for about a year and a half, and uh, love it. Well, I I can't believe that <laughs> you know that you've come uh, that you went all the way to the top of TSN because you were for sure the featured performers at TSN. You went down to Fox Sports, like you said, and came back, and that was that was a huge deal. I can't remember how long you promoted that, and I think it was it was I think all of Canada was excited for that. How did you and Dan? I I can't remember. Were you and Dan a team the whole time, or that just came into it as you kind of went along? No, we were a team the whole time, and and. You know, we were asked to come down to Los Angeles together. 
and it was a great experience uh, going down together. We, you know, it was a whole lot of fun. Fox is really fun to work for, actually. And um, in the end, for us, it was uh, it was just a different philosophy. The different management had taken over the network, mm-hmm. and you see it the way the network is now. It's very much the uh, the debate shows kind of dominate their lineup all day long. They don't really have any nighttime programming at all. So there was just no – it wasn't a good fit for us anymore. We had a nice uh, run with them, but I think in the end we all kind of agreed that we just weren't a good fit for that network anymore. And lucky for us, TSN was very interested in having us back. And I think for us, we missed a lot of things about doing TV in Canada, most notably being able to cover the NHL because, you know, one of the things we really discovered down there is, you know, we were all aware that the league wasn't as popular in the States, obviously, but I don't think we were aware how little popularity the NHL truly has in America. It's, it's really a regional sport. Uh, certain markets obviously do terrifically well, Minnesota, Boston, etc. But even a market like Los Angeles, where we were, it was very much a, much a niche sport. There was no discussion about the Kings on local sports talk radio. Even when we first moved there, the Kings won the Cup that mm-hmm. year, and they didn't even talk about them. So it really opened our eyes to, to how niche hockey is down there. And we miss covering it, you know, on sort of a prominent basis, being able to lead the show with it. Uh, it's the sport we love the most. So for us, coming back and doing the show at PSN was a real nice fit. So when you guys do your show now, uh, I, I'm only going to guess here that you have more leeway since you've come back. Do you guys, obviously have, you have writers, there's no question about that, but how much is off the cuff? How much do you guys plan out? I think maybe as a viewer I can tell when it's off the cuff or not, but how much of that do you guys, because you've worked together for, what, 15, 16 years now, are you playing off of each other and you don't need to do that stuff anymore? Well, all the highlights are are written by really talented writers, mm-hmm. and the scripts are quite, they, you know, the, the only word I can use is basic. It doesn't mean they're, it's not good. Sometimes basic's a bad word, but in this case, it's just a word that means it's a very straightforward script. Right. And that script is given to all the anchors and all the sports centers, not just our show. So we tend to go off that script a little more than, say, other anchors do. Some anchors stick to the script, and that's totally fine. It's, uh, that's what the scripts are meant to do. They're meant to, to allow people to either just do a straightforward show or if you want to ad-lib a little bit off of it, you have that basic information that you need on that script that will get you through the pack. We probably prepare. We joke that we prepare for nothing, but we actually prepare for the TV show more than, say, our podcast. We, we, we do put some preference to it because we try to look at the highlight packs as much as we possibly can. And, um, you know, the more we can see it beforehand – we truly feel like the better the show is. That's not to say that we haven't done entire shows. We haven't seen anything beforehand, and I mean that's our job to be able to do that. But you know, a better show is one where we can really prep it. And then all the on-camera stuff is written by Dan and myself, and it always was. So right. that you know truly has our personality behind it. And then one thing we've added to the new show is 
we have a lot of segments. Uh, one of my favorites actually uh, involves the Jets. Um, we did like a movie trailer parody where they, they went through like a little, you know, dry run during the regular season last year. And I think we did a movie called Extreme Turbulence or something right. to that effect about the Jets. Those bits, those sort of three written bits, are written by two really talented comedy writers that are friends of ours, Norm Sousa and Brendan Halloran. And they, they kind of handle that stuff for us. So a lot of that stuff that you see online, Brendan and Norm work on that constantly, and, and they do a great job. And that was one thing that TSN, to their credit, you know, we wanted to bring them, because they worked with us in L.A. They're Canadians, but they were living down there, and they were working with us. And we just thought, you know, we don't collaborate with that many people. We're kind of misanthropes. And the fact that we got along with them and really loved their style of comedy, thought it suited our style, you know, we wanted to keep the relationship going, and Brendan and Norm were both interested in continuing to work for us. So the fact that TSN was opening to hire, open to hire them uh, was a wonderful thing. That's awesome. That's really cool. So you brought it back to the Winnipeg factor. <clears throat> Other than your time here, uh, which you said you enjoyed, what is it with the the Jets references and uh, the Paul Maurice love and all of that stuff. Is it is it just from your time here, or are you are you giving us a hard time in a roundabout way, or what what's with it? Because it's great, we love it, but what's at, at the heart of it? No, it's not definitely not giving anyone a hard <laughs> time. I think Winnipeggers got a hard time about everything from everyone else anyway, so they don't need uh, me piling on. I'm the guy defending Winnipeg uh, all the time. I think to me. You bring up Paul Maurice, that's just genuine love and admiration. We were talking about it on our podcast yesterday. Jets fans have been blessed with Claude Noel and Paul Maurice as their guys giving post-game quotes. I mean, it doesn't get much more quotable and fun and funny than that. You know, and they obviously could be serious when they had to be. And obviously, Paul Maurice, you know, when he doesn't feel like joking around, you know it. But I love that he brings levity to, to situations. You know, the stuff in Finland with the who's the daddy line was so funny because it was like a genuine reaction from him, right? Like he couldn't believe. Yeah. He didn't, know what, he didn't even know what the question meant, which I just loved. And then, you know, he was just so taken aback by it. I think it's amazing how certain franchises get perfect coaches. And, and you know, I know you – from now, decades from now, we'll look back at the Paul Maurice era and just say, you know, as, as Jets fans, I think people will just be so thrilled that they were blessed with this guy who has embraced the city, embraced the team, and just like I said, brings levity when, to me, I'm, I've kind of grown tired of the Mike Babcocks of the world where it's always so serious and it's always so boring, to be perfectly honest. Um you know, not to say that coach, coaches can't joke around all the time. They just can't. But when the moment calls for it, the fact that Maurice, you know, is able to jump in and do that, I just love it personally. I think it's great. Yeah, it is fantastic. We had Kyle Wellwood on a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about that the players used to stand in the dressing room and uh, listen to Coach Noel's press conferences because they got they got such a kick out of him, <laughs> which I thought was great. <laughs> and we loved him, you know. Like, we just got – we absolutely loved him at TSN. That was before we left that he was coaching. And 
so we got a, a you know a heavy dose of Claude Noel and and yeah I couldn't agree more. Every post game presser was was must see viewing. For sure. So are you still a fan? Do you have favorite teams, favorite players, or now because you're so absorbed in it, you get to watch it all and you just enjoy the the big picture? Well, growing up in northern Alberta, you can probably guess the team I cheered for growing up. Sure. And I, and I, you know, I still have a soft spot for that team. But ultimately, I find as I get older, and this isn't just hockey, uh, I'm, I've been a Seahawks fan since, you know, the mid-'80s. Uh, so I had to endure years of just crappy, crappy Seahawks mm-hmm. teams. Um, you know, I've been a Blue Jays fan all my life, that kind of thing. But I find... You know, even with the Blue Jays, I tend to cheer for individual players. Even in baseball in general, I tend to cheer for individual players. I, I um, Basketball is the same thing. I'm a Raptors fan. But, you know, ultimately I was so happy when LeBron won a title in Cleveland because I can't, to, for the life of me, understand the shit that LeBron takes mm-hmm. on, on social media. It's so over the top and ridiculous to me. For a guy who couldn't have had more pressure on him his entire life, grew up without a father, and, you know, it could have gone so pear-shaped for him, and all he did was just succeed every step of the way, and his only misstep was announcing on live television that he was leaving Cleveland for Miami, and oh, by the way, when he did that, he donated millions of dollars to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, so if that's a misstep, that's a pretty nice misstep. (laughs) No doubt, no doubt. So I, I just, for me, I find I cheer. I tend to, my big rule is I tend to cheer for great players to win championships. So, for example, I was so happy when Peyton Manning won his second Super Bowl ring, even though he was not great in that Super Bowl and really hadn't been himself since the surgery. Mm-hmm. I just knew that Eli had two rings, Peyton had one, and to me that just didn't seem right. And, and, and you know, I just think to me Peyton at his peak was, in my personal opinion, the greatest quarterback I've ever seen play. So it just didn't seem right that he didn't have two. So I was so rel- – I almost feel a sense of relief when guys like that succeed. And, you know, I think of someone like Charles Barkley. You know, it's ridiculous to me that – you know, lesser players have multiple rings and Barkley didn't have one. Because when you watch, you know, Barkley's like, it's funny how these guys years go on and you forget how they were players. Mm-hmm. Barkley was incredible as a basketball player because he was listed at 6'6", but at best he's probably 6'3". And he was out-rebounding seven-footers on a nightly basis. Yeah. And it was incredible to watch his tenacity he was the force of nature out there. And the fact that he didn't end up getting that ring when he joined up with Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler in Houston, it always upsets me. You know, it, it, I feel bad for him. He should have a ring. So I guess that's a long, long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> no, that's, um, that's great. Yeah, I, 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 you wonder how Robert Ory ends up with seven rings or whatever he ended up with, but that's <laughs> that's another conversation. Well, but. and you know what, Robert Ory <laughs> probably deserves a few rings because he was always clutch in the postseason, sure. right? Like they sure. went out and got them, just like Claude Lemieux deserves rings. Got you know, if you're a playoff specialist and you're a proven one, then you deserve rings. Um, you know, 
I'm trying to think of a good example of someone who maybe doesn't deserve a ring, but I, I think everyone deserves a ring. It's it's just I I it, I always feel bad when the Dan Marinos and Barclays are the ones right. to go through life with people saying, "Hey, you never won a ring," even though they were you know easily among the greatest players of their generation. Right. So I feel like you're getting close to your time here, uh, Jay. Um, what what do you got prediction wise for the NHL this year? Uh, maybe conference finalists or something along those lines. No pressure because we are jet centric here. So, well, I am going to go with the Jets because why not? I mean, if if you know you look at the team up and down, and and we had Jamie McLennan on our podcast last week, and he said it best. Like you look at the Jets on paper, there's no more talented team in the league, in my opinion, when they're all healthy, and I mean all four lines. They just have you know perfect a perfect setup to me. So I love to, I'd love to see the Jets come through. You know, as far as the East is concerned, I look at Tampa this year and, you know, as long as Vasilevsky has an excellent season, it's like Tampa has cap room that no other team has. You know, mm-hmm. when they signed that, that Yanni Gord deal the other day, I, you know, someone had a funny comment, like, where are they getting all this cap room? And it's kind of true. Like, they seem to have all their guys onto long cap-friendly, long-term deals, and um, and they're obviously starting off the season excellent. So you know, I really like them to come out of the East. I think you know after last season they figured things out, and uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see. It, it should be a lot of fun though. Either way, there's a lot of great talent in the NHL right now. It's really fun to watch the league on a nightly basis, that's for sure. That's, you know what? I haven't thought of it that way. I'm so Jets-focused. Hockey is really good right now. There's a lot of really good players, and there's a lot of really good teams right now. That's that's so true. You're bang on. Um, so I guess we'll wrap up. I'll give you a couple minutes as we do to plug whatever you do, which is crazy because there's definitely not anybody that follows our podcast and doesn't listen or watch you, but you can go ahead to tell us about your books, your podcast, whatever you need to do, Jay. We really appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, we, we love when people watch the show uh, in Winnipeg. We're on it. Uh, we're on live at 11 at night in the peg. So, you know, you get home from the toad in the hole. You've had a few pints. You flip a time. And, of course, we loop in the morning on PSN 4 and 5. And then we have a podcast as well. We do it every uh, Monday night at midnight. It goes up midnight Eastern, the Jay and Dan podcast. And we love doing it. And uh, and so uh, that's coming out every week. And the books are out, too, and you can always get the books. I actually did audio book versions of my two books, number two and Anchor Boy. And you can get those on Audible. And it was a heck of a lot of work. You know, it's so funny. You write books, and then you sort of put them aside for a long time, forget about them. And I had to read both books for the audiobook versions. And it's almost like you're revisiting it all over again, and you're kind of performing it because I tried to do all the different voices in the book differently. And so it's almost like I'm doing a radio play or something like that. But uh, I think you'll like it if you like audiobooks. Um, makes a fine gift for the holiday season. Right on. So I think we'll uh, we'll let you get to work tonight and make sure that we watch you uh, do the Jet Centric shout out on Sports Center tonight because that will be fantastic when when we get to hear that. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for your time, Jay. We actually uh, appreciate it more than you'll know, and uh, it was uh, great to talk to you. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate you having me on. Right on, man. Take care. Have a great night.
You too. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Hey everyone, uh, Daniel here from uh, the Jet Centric Podcast. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at DanielWPG55. And I'm joined here today uh, with uh, the play-by-play announcer for uh, your Manitoba Moose, uh, Mitch Peacock. So hey Mitch, how's it going? I'm doing great, Daniel. Yourself? Oh, I'm doing good, thanks. Uh, just uh, looking forward to this interview we kind of had uh, been talking about for a few days here. So looking, looking forward to get your thoughts on some things and uh, maybe a few stories or something. Yeah, I might have a few stories for you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Mitch, obviously you've been doing the uh, play-by-play for uh, as usually on TSN 1290 or online for the Manitoba Moose since since they came back, right? Uh, this will be your fourth season. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you uh, kind of get into the whole broadcasting game? Like, was it something you'd always dreamed of? Like, where was your start? And kind of maybe just go into like your journey and how you got to where you are today doing play-by-play for uh, the Moose. Well, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny because uh, I, I never, I had never aspired to be a broadcaster as a kid growing up. I always wanted to play. I think everybody wants to play, right? So uh, I tried to play as long as I could. Uh, I played uh, mostly junior B, a little bit of junior A in the Alberta Junior League. While I was a university student at the University of Alberta, I played briefly with the uh, Sherwood Park Crusaders in the AJHL. Uh, I was a goalie, and then uh, after I graduated from the University of Alberta, I went and played a year for Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Uh, just did some graduate courses, and then uh, decided to take a shot and went down to uh, try out the East Coast League uh, many moons ago, and uh, didn't work out. And uh, I, I didn't, you know, I just, I didn't have, I think, you know, one of the elements that good players have, which is that sort of mental ability to deal with the ups and downs and the disappointments and all that sort of stuff. And I could also see I was never going to play in the NHL. So uh, I think, you know, those things together, I decided it's time to move on. Uh, I just, uh, I worked in social services, helping kids who dropped out of school and, uh, and people who were new to Canada uh, with job searching and career planning. And uh, I did a lot of talking in those sessions with those people about finding out what it is that really energizes you and, and motivates you and inspires you and, and try to find a way you could do a job that, that would fit in with that, whatever it might be. And uh, really encourage people to do that. If you like cars, can you maybe be a mechanic and into auto sales? What is it? You know, something like that. So I would tell these people these things. And then I'd go on the coffee breaks or the lunch breaks to my office and look at the hockey news and the sports illustrated and flip on the TV and check out what's going on in TSN. And, and, uh, and then my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, uh, decided to switch careers and, when she did that, uh, something in me clicked and said, wait a minute, I keep telling all these people to follow their passions. I spent most of my life playing hockey. Uh, I, I spent most of my free time watching sports and reading about sports. I'm not listening to my own advice here. Uh, the universe is trying to tell me something. So uh, I ended up going to state in Calgary uh, at 27 years old and studying broadcasting. And um, I, I got a chance to get started after my first year. So I jumped out and I, I did play-by-play in the Alberta Junior Hockey League for an expansion team, which at the time was called the Bow Valley Eagles and played games in both Ban- uh, Banff and Canmore. Uh, I think now they're known as the Canmore Eagles. But um, I lived in Calgary. I, I kept my social services job uh, half-time and then did the games in the evening. At the same time, uh, there was an expansion team in the Western Hockey League called the Calgary Hitmen. And uh, so... I hung around the corral and the saddle dome and I would do color for the broadcasters coming in from out of town if they'd take me. 
and got to know Mike Toth quite well, who was a play-by-play guy for the Hitmen, and he picked me up as the uh, as the Hitmen color guy as the season went on. So I had my social services job during the day, and then I'd do the other junior league games play-by-play on the weekend, and whenever I could fit it in with the Hitmen, I'd jump on and do color, and um, I used that to get a tape together. Uh, I got a chance to work in, uh, it's really tough to break in the Western Hockey League, so I got a chance to work in the ECHL for a team that uh, uh, no longer exists called the Roanoke <laughs> Express in Roanoke, Virginia. So I went down there and did those games for a year for a variety of reasons. I ended up coming back after that first year. I started the next season with the Penticton Panthers in the BC Hockey League doing play-by-play. Uh, with that job, I had to. they didn't want to do play-by-play at the home games at that time. They thought it might interfere with ticket sales. Uh, that's a whole other show. I don't want to talk oh, wow, about yeah, that that's, part. That's something different there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I, I did the PA announcing at the home games and play-by-play at the road games. And then I had a job at an office supply store that they got me called Winter's Office Supply. They were very nice people that let me work there and set the schedule in. And so I assembled and delivered office furniture and uh, did games at night. Uh, didn't get very far into that season when I got my first full-time job in the media. I was uh, hired to do uh, sports radio in Fort McMurray, Alberta on uh, AM and FM stations up there. So it was a morning sportscast, a noon sportscast, special events around town, and play-by-play of the Fort McMurray Oil Barons of the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And uh, I couldn't pass that up. You know, as much as I was grateful for Penticton getting me the opportunity, this was a a full-time sportscasting job, which I had never had. So we moved to Fort McMurray. I did that for uh, one season. I went to the first day of training camp, the second season for the Oil Barons, and I was talking to the local newspaper writer at the first day of training camp, and I said, this will be the first time I've ever done the same team two years in a row. Isn't that something? Oh, wow, yeah. I'm, really, I'm really looking forward to it. And I drove down to the radio station, and my phone rang, and it was Bruce Ludke, longtime voice of the Brandon Wheat Kings. And Bruce said, hey, did you know that the Prince Albert Raiders are looking for a play-by-play announcer? <laughs> and I said, I said, what, really? He said, yeah, you know, you do, this, you do the sports at the radio station there, and then you call the games. But, you, you know, you get to do 72 games plus playoffs, not just a handful like in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And uh, so I went and saw my boss in uh, Fort McMurray. He was a tremendous guy by the name of Kelly Boyd. Uh, God rest his soul. And he said, you got to go for it. So I went down, I did the interview and uh, lo and behold, I got the job in Prince Albert. So I didn't get to do two years in a row at the <laughs> Fort McMurray, but I did get to go to the Western Hockey League. So uh, that was lucky. I went to PA in 1998 and uh, they had a couple of good up and comers, a uh, 16 year old kid by the name of Scott Hartnell and oh, yeah. uh, another 16 year old uh, defenseman by the name of Nick Schultz. And uh, there was a guy from Winnipeg who's in the media a lot these days uh, for different reasons, Riley Cote, who uh, was a 16-year-old as well. And he's one of the guys now, as a former NHL player, who is talking about the value of cannabinoids uh, in uh, dealing with pain and anxiety and those sorts of things, um, as opposed to the traditional methods, which is a very interesting subject to me as well. And, uh, and Riley's a smart guy. So anyway, I uh, went to Prince Albert, did two years there, uh, got hired in uh, Calgary after my second year uh, to go back to Calgary. And this time I uh, was the host of Flames Radio. So very much like uh, Kevin Olszewski now with the Jets right. uh, or Rick Ralph before him. I had that role in Calgary for a couple of years. Um, and then I decided after a couple of years, actually three years of doing that, 
that um, I would uh, switch to television. So I switched to television, and uh, anyway, long story short, I ended up back. Uh, I ended up in Winnipeg. Uh, did five years on the Fox Soccer Report. Did uh, six and a half years as a sports anchor at CBC, which allowed me to get involved in a number of national uh, network events. And uh, the the idea the whole time, quite frankly, Daniel, was to find a way to do play-by-play on television. And uh, I thought I was going to, you know, maybe work into that through Hockey Night in Canada. I was doing inside reporting here with Hockey Night in Canada. Um, you know, thought maybe I'd get a chance to do some of that if I put my time in. But CBC lost the rights and things happened. And uh, so I had an opportunity in 2015. CBC let me go and I was just a, kind of a, you know, an open slate. And I was fortunate enough to have a few minutes of Mark Chipman's time and told him about my experience. And he seemed interested and, and it worked out. So I was delighted to be able to do play-by-play again. And I'm really enjoying it. Oh, that's 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 quite the road to the uh, to the to the <laughs> almost big over now. Do they there. take all the time? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we're out of time right now. We're actually just going to cut it off there. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's an interesting story. And actually, you had mentioned uh, your uh, your uh, CBC days there. Um, I just it was you called some uh, some Olympics uh, this past this past Olympics, right? Two right? Yeah, that's right. Am yeah, I correct in thinking that? Uh, yeah, yeah, right yeah. on. Yep. Yeah, that yeah, was a short, a short, short, short track, Good. short track speed skating. I think it was. If I, uh, if I remember that that's right, exactly I remember it. Was. Yeah, yeah, turning it on at five a.m. I was like, hey, I recognize that voice. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's Mitch Peacock. <laughs> yeah, there's no Patrice Cormier out there, but it's the same voice. <laughs> yeah, that's the same. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So so that's yeah. So there's there's Mitch Peacock's uh, life uh, story there. There's his uh, his autobiography, yeah. his verbal autobiography. <laughs> so. So that's some pretty pretty cool stuff you had there along a long road, lots of different opportunities uh that that worked out for you. You know, you're pretty set now as the play by play for the moose and all that. So uh so we'll get into what you're with the team you cover right now. We'll talk about the the Manitoba Moose uh, for a little sure. bit. So so heading into uh this weekend, uh they're uh, six and five on the season. That's good enough for uh fifth in the division. So just uh, maybe your thoughts on the first month and a bit of the season here. How how have they looked? I know uh, a lot of interchanging, especially in the first part of the season. Yeah, and that's the American Hockey League. It's not even just the, the first part of the season. You know, it seems like it's constant as the year goes on. If you get injuries or there's call-ups or, you know, a variety of factors come into play, it seems uh, almost all the time. So the roster is virtually ever-changing. But I would say this year is a bit unique in the sense that, Daniel, um, the team didn't have any preseason games. And uh, in large part because of the fact the Jets had those three sets of back-to-backs in the preseason. And uh, so the Jets needed players around. They needed people to be able to manage that type of a schedule, which meant it was difficult for the Moose to have a group of guys together that they could take anywhere to try and play some games to get ready for the season. And even if they had a group of guys, it might not be the guys who would be on the team. So, you know, they, they just opted in this particular case to go without the preseason games. And so I would say that, uh, the way that it turned out, the, the first few weeks of the season were almost like an extended preseason for the club. First time they played a game was October 5th at Iowa against the Wild. They had a ton of returning players. So, you know, they they really, I think, spent the first two full weeks at least uh, not just playing those two sets against Iowa and against Belleville, but also just practicing like crazy, trying to figure out who fits where, who's who's going to go into what role, get the guys to know each other a little bit more, do some work on special teams, all those sorts of things. Uh, start to understand the, the way they would need to play to be successful, get a bit of an identity going. And um, so 
it doesn't surprise me that they would begin 0-2, uh, you know, that they would split with Belleville early on like that. Um, that's all part of the growing pains. And since then, uh, it's come around quite nicely. Uh, the, the home set with San Antonio was a sweep. They won on the road, um, dropped one in Milwaukee to an excellent Milwaukee team, but then managed to get back-to-back wins uh, with Rockford and Milwaukee on the schedule, which is tough. A uh, shootout win and an overtime win. Really started to, I think, get to know each other and get to know the way they need to play. Uh, they're not going to score easily. They're going to have to work for everything. They're going to have to be very good defensively, stay out of the penalty box, kill penalties, all those things. Uh, to give themselves a chance to win games. Uh, and Pascal Vincent and his staff are super smart. They pick up very quickly on the strengths of their team and how the team needs to play. All, of course, within the Jets system, so that if they get called up, uh, they know exactly what they need to do for Paul Maurice and his staff. And then, you know, since then, the, the Chicago series in the weekend was an interesting one, coming off of the travel of that first uh, or that most recent spell on the road. Chicago's got an outstanding team. And now Grand Rapids comes in. So, uh, I think the process of, of developing an identity and gelling is still ongoing some, but they're much further down the road than they were a month ago. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch this team. Uh, the next little while is going to be very interesting because uh, after the two games against Grand Rapids, there's a lot of action on the road coming up. I think they've got, well, 10 of the next 12 on the road after Grand Rapids is here. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. And then, as I said at, at, at the beginning of the answer, that you, know, you get a call up or two or, couple of people get hurt uh, everything can change so it's uh it's part of the fun and and uh you know it's just interesting to go along and, and kind of be able to tell the story day by day yeah that's that's an interesting point about obviously especially from the coach uh the coaching uh aspect of it uh pascal uh, vincent there he has to do exactly what the jets need him to do right and the fact that he has to teach paul maurice's their power play their penalty kill their breakouts transitions all that thing so you're not I mean, obviously, you're still your own coach, but you're going under someone else's system, which I mean, obviously, you you under obviously they understand the system and stuff, and they realize that that's part of the job is to get them ready to play in the NHL, play play for the Jets, if uh, it takes if necessary. Certain, yeah, no, you're 100% right, and it takes a certain kind of person to be able to do that. I'm not sure every coach could, I'm not sure every high level coach could be a good American Hockey League coach because uh, you have to take on those responsibilities. That's the job. So you need to know that system inside and out. You need to know the language that the coaches use to describe the system. It's not just, hey, we do this and we do that, but it's the terminology, you know, much like plays in a, in a football playbook. So uh, Pascal has to speak in exactly the same terms and describe exactly the same things as Paul Maurice does with his players. And it goes right down to Marty Johnston and Eric Dubois as well. It's all the same language, all the same routes as pascal likes to say um there's a real consistency there and then the challenge uh, along with it is uh, each particular player is on their own path each particular player is working on his own strengths and his own shortcomings to try and be the best player that he can be so that maybe someday he can play in the national league and so uh, there's that and then there's tr- how can he win his mocky games because uh, you can't just worry about uh, player a or player b's personal agenda you got to teach them how to win games so the job of american hockey league coach and being on american hockey league coaching staff is is very very involved and uh and it's really interesting to watch and people might get confused sometimes when they uh see an american hockey league game and they say well didn't that guy just make a mistake that led to a goal and he's right back out on the next shift that's part of educating players right you can't set you know sometimes you sit players but but generally speaking you want to you want them to pick up the lesson go back out 
and see if they can put that lesson to work. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting to watch. It takes something special to be one of those coaches. And and for me, it, it it's, you know, part of what I try to do in sharing the story with the audience as well is, you know, putting it all into the right perspective. Yeah, exactly. There is. It's learning. It's all about learning for the players, especially the young, the young prospects. I mean, obviously, all all AHL teams or most of them also have. I like to refer to them as AHL vets. You know, the guys that couldn't quite make the jump to the NHL but are fine playing in the at the AHL level. You look at example, a guy like uh, say uh, Peter Stoikowicz. You know, like he was an NHL draft pick at a point, and he just never, never got the break that he needed, I guess, to make it up to the NHL. But now you consider them like a, an AHL vet, right? So you have those kinds of players too that are able to probably help 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 the younger players out too, right? So it's kind of a balance of you have your younger players like you got right now, like uh, the Moose have like Sammy Niku, Christian Veselin, and like those are top, top NHL prospects, we'll say. And then you have a lot of the vets on the team and that's kind of the balance you need too, especially when guys are getting called up and injuries happen. You know, you kind of have to manage that as well as to how many vets you have versus prospects or younger players you have, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where Craig Heisinger comes in, you know, the longtime general manager of the Moose. Uh, he's been around the American Hockey League for years and years. He knows exactly how these things work. There's a lot of rules. Uh, for example, a lot of people don't know that you're only allowed to dress six players who qualify as veterans for an American Hockey League game. The rest of the players have to be developmental players. The goalies are exempt. So you need to get those six players right because those six players are quite often the leaders of your team. You know, you may not see them as prospects for the NHL, but they're players that shape the culture of the team, that set a tone in the dressing room, uh, off the ice, on the ice. They're the players that are mentoring the younger players. Uh, they're the players that you, you need to get a group of, of young up-and-comers through an American Hockey League season without getting run over. Uh, so, you know, that that is a... Well, it's a substantial element to any success the team has, not only in the American Hockey League, but in the NHL. Because if you don't have the right people there, you're not getting those players ready for the National Hockey League. That's, um, that's another really interesting part of all of this. You know, in the summer when those signings come out, uh, you know, you look back to last summer and people go, uh, Mike Scarbosa, Buddy Robinson, who are they? Well, they're important people and they're valuable players to an organization. Cam Schilling is a wonderful example of that. You know, those, those are the kinds of players that really dictate uh, in many respects where things are going to go in your locker room. And you get the wrong people, you got a problem. Yeah, exactly. You need those guys that are kind of just, they're, they're there, you know, they're there for the team. They know, they know their role. You have to get guys that understand their role of, you know, what, what the team needs them for and that's in their, in each different individual situation. Right. And that's just something that obviously a general or a general manager that's uh, Craig Heisinger who has done it for, forever right so he, he kind of has a very good idea of what of what he's doing like it's been it's been he's been doing it for a long time and he's put together some pretty successful uh, Manitoba Moose teams going back uh going back before the Jets Moose going back to like when the Moose were the affiliate of uh, the Vancouver Canucks and stuff like that so yeah you, you give you give Zinger truth serum though and he'll uh, he'll tell you that they handle things a little bit differently now than they did when they were the Canucks farm team <laughs> because, uh, you know, when they were the Canucks farm team, uh, they wanted to win the Calder Cup, you know, come hell or high water every single season. Uh, now the approach is a little bit different. Yes, they want to win the Calder Cup every season, don't get me wrong. But that co-priority, that joint priority of developing players for their NHL team is now there and very strong as opposed to, you know, developing players for somebody else's NHL team. So, you know, the, the sort of... Um, 
tilt, the view has tilted a little bit for Zinger and the responsibilities now and uh, and he'll uh, you know in the right moment he, he'll he'll uh, he'll kind of uh, crack and and let you know that yeah he, he he might not have had the same view when when they just uh, were trying to win as the Manitoba Moose in the 1.0 era and weren't thinking as much about that development side. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good point too. I guess they were just a farm team at that point. Now it's all like I just I consider the Jets and Moose right now as like just one big team, you know, like because they own both, right? And they're both in the For same sure. building in the same city. So it just kind of creates a little bit of a different culture and a little Absolutely. bit of a different different mindset to that, which is which I think is very it's very beneficial for the Jets to have their farm team right across the hallway in the at the MTS uh, Bell MTS. Yeah, we we've seen so many benefits of that and I'm sure you're familiar with it. Yeah, exactly. Like you call up, you call up a guy, he hauls his stuff over to the other dressing room basically. Right. And that's, and that's extremely beneficial and it allows some of the younger guys to play more. If uh, say the Jets and Moose are both at home right now and they'll be at home up until I guess, well, after this weekend, the Moose hit the road, but they're so say, for example, if, the Jets were carrying an extra skater right now. They could send him down if they wanted to the Moose, get a game in, get a game or two in, and that way the guys are skating. They're getting their their minutes in, as well as if they do need them, they're right across the hallway. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, there's there's so many things, right? I mean, you've got uh, coaching staff that can communicate on a constant basis. You got the general manager of the Winnipeg Jets, Kevin Shoveldayoff, who can see their team at his convenience. You got players who understand that they're supported by the whole organization all of the time, instead of feeling like they're in some far-flung place, wondering what the big big team is thinking. Right? Everybody's together. Uh, they got all those resources you talked about, uh, iceplex, um, the off-ice facilities. Uh, it, it's just incredible. And then when you recruit a player in the summer, you know you try to make a pitch to a player, uh, player with a family especially, but even the players who don't have families who. Who, who don't like the bouncing around and you tell them, look, you sign with us, you're going to be in Winnipeg this year, either with the Jets or with the Moose. You're not going to be, you know, either here or someplace, you know, four or five hours away by, by plane. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of appeals and a lot of advantages and you avoid a lot of redundancies too on a business level. So I think so far so good as far as that's concerned, you know, 2.0 Moose uh, in-house with the Jets uh, has been really positive. Yeah, that's yeah. Then that's kind of what I thought when they did bring them back a few years ago. So uh, we'll uh, we'll move on from that a little bit, and we'll go more towards specific players, maybe that uh, Jets fans should be getting excited about, or maybe players that they haven't thought of maybe being potential call-ups, and maybe not this season, but maybe next year or ho- however that plays out. So obviously, most people that are listening to this know about Savi Niku and Christian Veselainen is probably I would say the two top prospects on the Moose right now. Um, so maybe Mitch, you can go into a few of the other guys that are maybe coming up or that are maybe going under the radar a little bit in their development to become NHLers or future NHLers. Yeah, you know, you want to be careful because people can surprise you over time. They may be at a certain point when you talk about them and then something happens over the course of six months or a year or a couple of seasons and a player you thought, boy, I didn't see that coming, will we'll step up and, and reach a level that you didn't, you didn't ever imagine it you know further down the road so um i would be very careful i want to preface all of this by saying that um you know there's no way to mention everybody and everybody's got potential that they wouldn't be part of the program right yeah uh, of course, so of course yeah yeah so you know there there is that aspect of it mason appleton had a sensational year last year and and you know that's an interesting story right there right because you're talking about a six-round draft pick you're talking about a guy who who came out of school who was unheralded uh who by his own admission just wanted to make the moves last year started out as the fourth line center for the team 
ends up not only going to the All-Star Classic midseason, but on the first All-Star team. He's the rookie of the year in the league. He sets the moose record for points by a rookie. You know, he, he did so many things that I'm not sure even he saw coming. And uh, this year, a little bit of a sluggish start, uh, but he's got his feet moving again. He's got his energy up, and uh, he's a very smart player. Uh, I think a three-zone player, um, a guy who's uh, mature, who listens to coaching, who gets better every day, uh, who's got size, who can move. Uh, you know, and here he is leading the team in points again. So uh, Mason Appleton, I think, has uh, certainly got potential to be a guy who can contribute at the next level in some form. Uh, that's a player I wouldn't want to sleep on at all because, uh, you know, and, and, and the neat part about I don't know if you know this about Mason Appleton, but he'll tell you when he was playing high school hockey in Wisconsin, uh, early in his high school career, he was barely over five feet tall. That for oh, most wow. of his, yeah, for most of his early hockey career, he was the little guy. He was the runt. And he'll tell you that uh, when you're that person, when you have to scratch and claw and, and prove to everybody that you're not too small to do this, you develop a certain attitude. And uh, he says he grew 10 inches and gained, I think it was 70 pounds over the course of his high school career. <laughs> and uh, he said, if, if you watch, though, like one of the things he's been complimented on is his board battles. And he says, that's all from being the little guy. That's all from everybody saying, you know, you're too small. You're not going to be able to keep up. You don't have it. And developing that little chip in your shoulder. And now that he's as big as anybody else, uh, with that chip in his shoulder, in his, in his gut, that fire burning, uh, I think that's a pretty good weapon to have over and above his skill set. So, again, I, I like Mason Appleton. I think he's got potential to, to play at the next level for sure. And then, you know, the tricky thing about this, Daniel, is these guys are all at different phases, right? And as I kind of touched on earlier, uh, they may be at, you know, phase phase two of ten right now, but they could be at five by Christmas and seven by the end of the year. And by next year, we're talking about a guy who's on the fringe of making it, right? So, you know, a player like Michael Spachek, for example, uh, last year, 17 goals, 10 on the power play, ties the Moose rookie record for power play goals. He's got that great off-wing one-timer. Now what they're doing with, with Michael is they're saying, uh, let's let's extend your game. Let's, let's stretch that game out so you're not a power play specialist. You're not just somebody who gets points like you did in the Western Hockey League with Red Deer, but you're a guy who can be counted on for face-offs, for checking, for being responsible, and then having that offensive upside, not making something – you know, not making him something that he's not, but just stretching the game out so that he's not limited to a specialty. So, you know, when you think about that, you can now understand more when you watch Michael Spachek play. Okay, he's here today, but where might he be six months from now? Where might he be a year from now? You know, and the same thing goes with a number of players in the organization. If you if you look at a player like Jansen Harkins, it's the same thing. Jansen feels like he had a really good year last year. You look at the points and you say, well, what do you mean? Well, for him, yeah. it was a really good year because he can see all the different ways that he improved. As much as anything, he talks about just learning the life of being a professional. He doesn't have a billet anymore. He doesn't have somebody doing the laundry. He doesn't have somebody making dinner, right? So all those things take energy and focus and, and, and you know concentration, whatever, that you never thought about before. So now Jansen Harkins is into his second year. He's skating well. He's starting to get scoring chances. He's feeling good about himself. So, you know, where is he on the path? Logan Stanley's come in. Uh, he looks very mature, very responsible. Seems to have a great understanding of, of the basics of the game, keeping it simple. You know, at the NHL level, everybody notices the superstars, but the guys who, you know, fill out rosters, the guys who, who make teams good are the guys who know what they're good at, 
can provide that on a regular basis. And it's not above flash in a lot of cases. And Morgan Stanley, I think, really has an excellent sense of himself, an excellent sense of how he can contribute to a team. And he seems to be able to stay within that. Started the season on the third pairing. And when uh, Tucker Pullman went to join the team in Finland, went up to the top pairing with Sammy Niku and barely skipped a beat. So, you know, these are the fun things to watch and, and the situations that you monitor as seasons go by. Christian Reichel is also an excellent player, by the way, and he's signed on an AHL contract. Uh, this is a guy who I know that the Jets scouts uh, thought that somebody would draft, and, and when he wasn't drafted, right away they said, okay, let's let's make an offer to this guy. And uh, he's come in. Robert Reichel's son, you might remember Robert, was a fantastic NHL player. And Christian now, uh, following in his dad's footsteps, comes out of the Western Hockey League. He played a, a little bit over a couple of years in the Czech League before he came to the Western Hockey League. And this guy's just got pro written all over him. He's just, he does nothing but work. He's always asking about how to get better. His habits are outstanding. And uh, he looks like he's working into regular duty as one of the sentiment on this Moose team. And he's just 20 years old. Uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of good stories. It's very interesting to, to monitor these things and watch how these guys grow. Yeah, that's, yeah, there's tons, obviously tons of different stories. And like you had mentioned, different paths, where they're at, what exactly they're trying to accomplish and how they're trying to improve and make themselves either noticeable to to the Jets or, or even to other teams as as obviously we know players move around a lot and stuff like yeah. that. So, oh, yeah. so they're just trying to get get themselves out there, make them look like solid like solid players that they're developing on a good path, a good curve and all that. So there's a lot always a lot of variables obviously when talking about young prospects turning into professional NHL players or full time NHL players and that's and that's yeah. So it's always something I like to keep an eye on myself, you know. I've, yeah, oh, yeah, so for sure. Feels, I mean, I'm not even mentioning everyone, right? I mean, yeah, there's, there's so many, you know, there's so many the, guys. There's the there. new guys like Luke Green all the way to guys like J.C. LaFon who are still knocking on the door. Yeah, exactly. And that's one thing about the Jets. They've done pretty fair, fairly well at drafting, if I if I could say anything about that. So that's, yeah. it, all, it creates for a lot of conversation and a lot of, okay, well, is he better than him? Who's going to be better next year and why? why are we having this discussion and, you know, where, where yeah. are we going with this? Right. So that's just a lot, a lot I like to keep an eye on and stuff like that. For sure. So, uh, so we were talking a little bit uh, pre before we started actually recording here, um, we were talking about the AHL and the AHL travel schedule. Now you had mentioned to me that the booths actually fly to most of the locations, obviously, because there's nowhere close to, to Winnipeg. The closest would be probably be, I would say uh, in Des Moines, Iowa, when they go play Iowa wild. Yeah. So that's, that's the closest team. That's the closest team to us. So they do a lot of plane travel. Uh, but and then you had mentioned that obviously most of the other teams do bus travel and stuff like that. So I just want your take kind of on the AHL travel schedule and how hectic it is and stuff like that. Just if you got any. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, um, and you're correct, every loose road trip starts with a flight. There's no, there's no situation where we get on a bus to go to another market. Every trip starts with a flight, usually through Minneapolis, Sometimes through Chicago, uh, of course it depends where you're going. If you're ending up, you know, playing the Marlies and Sens and and uh, Laval Rocket, then that's different. You're going to fly out to Toronto or Montreal. Um, but every single trip starts with a flight. Not many teams around the league would say that. I'm not sure if there is another team that says that. Um, so that's that's one of the unique aspects about the Manitoba Moose, is they are, uh, for lack of a better term, an outpost team. So um, they have to go to their opponents, and their opponents have to make an extra effort to come to them. That's why you get the two-game sets all the time. Uh, you know, you, you, you go to other markets, and you'll see two different teams on two different nights, right? Um, but that's not the case here. So usually it's a, a very early morning flight. 
off to uh, Minneapolis and from Minneapolis to wherever you need to go or to Chicago and wherever you need to go. Sometimes that means a second flight, uh, you know, if you're going to San Antonio or Austin or over to California. Uh, and in the case of uh, the last road trip, for example, uh, it was a flight to Chicago, a bus to Milwaukee. Uh, that was a Friday. So that was a Friday fly Chicago bus to Milwaukee, play in Milwaukee on Saturday, get on the bus after the game in Milwaukee, go straight to Rockford, check into the hotel in Rockford, get up in the morning. The team had a meeting at the hotel, played in the afternoon at four, got right back on the bus, went right back to Milwaukee, uh, checked back into the same hotel in Milwaukee. <laughs> Uh, had Sunday night in Milwaukee, had a Monday practice in Milwaukee, played on Tuesday, got on the bus after the game on the Tuesday night, took the bus to Chicago, got to the hotel in Chicago about 12.30 in the morning, had a 5 a.m. wake-up for a 6 o'clock bus to the airport, took an 8 o'clock flight, and we're back in Winnipeg at 10.30 in the morning. Yeah, well, that's... that's a little bit of what it's like. And, you know, and then other trips where they're extended trips, there's, there's more busing that goes on from one market to the next, but it's, it's always on the go like that. And, and so that's why, uh, you know, when people say, well, you know, the moose didn't look like themselves, uh, for example, on this past Saturday night. Well, that was the fifth game in eight days with that little trip that I talked about at the start of it. So, you know, you can imagine how you might feel just going through, traveling like that never mind playing these intense games under those difficult conditions right so the coaches have to constantly along with the help of the medical staff of the team led by jake wolf they're constantly monitoring where the players are at you know is today a day for a practice is today a day for an off-ice workout is today a day off uh you know if we practice how long those sorts of things because they're always always trying to manage player development and play a rest so they're able to take part in those games properly. But uh, the American Hockey League schedule is a, is a challenging one, but at the same time prepares those players for playing at the next level because the, you know, the Jets, uh, albeit on a charter flight, most uh, everywhere they go under uh, you know pretty impressive conditions, still that is nonstop uh, what they're doing. So these guys are getting groomed for that. Yeah, exactly. And it's definitely a way, a way to learn through that. And like you had mentioned before, they're playing 10 of the, next 12 on the road i think is what you had mentioned there so that'll be yeah. that's one of the crazy uh lot a lot of couple hour bus trips in there i'm sure so it's it's quite the obviously logistic issues could appear and again like you said if players get called up in the middle of a road trip when the when the team's in milwaukee or something what do you what are you going to do in that situation it's a lot a lot of moving parts always running an nhl and ahl uh, uh franchise so that's always something you know you got to keep in the back of your mind on how how the performance is and other variables like that and obviously going on a 10 10 road trips out of the next 12 or 10 road games out of the next 12 games how much practice are they really going to get in there you know are they going to be able to get in get on the ice make adjustments that they need to make and stuff like that so that's all just constant cog wheel of moving stuff and that's just another challenge of playing in the AHL or playing any professional hockey Oh, without a doubt, yeah. And, and you know, what starts to happen as the season really gets into full swing and the games get closer together and more frequent, then morning skates become either something that you don't do because you need the rest or they become the only practice you get in a, you know, a period of time because there's so many other things going on. So that morning skate ends up being critical. You have a, a really good set of team meetings beforehand. They're going over special teams, going over your opposition. You get out there and you, and you do that morning skate. And it might only be 20 minutes but it's on two or three or four specific things 
that the team is either not doing very well and needs to get right or needs to adjust for that opponent that they're going up against because the coach knows that that's the only time they're going to get to practice. So that's the time they're either traveling or resting or playing a game. So uh, it's really interesting to see how the coaches uh, educate these guys. And, and a lot of that too takes place off of the ice. It's not unusual to find Marty Johnston sitting uh, in the stands with one of the players looking at a laptop, going over video of the player shifts and saying, okay, here's what we need to see. Or Eric Dubois, same sort of thing, got a, a laptop somewhere and a cup of coffee sitting down with a player and, and saying, hey, these, these shifts look terrific. These ones can be a little bit better. I mean, it's just uh, it's never-ending, and, and they try to find whatever opportunity makes the most sense to help move the player along. Yeah, so there's yeah, always a lot of moving parts, and the time is limited, and you can only teach so much through writing down plays or going over it on, on the on the whiteboards or whatever they use, laptops now, I guess. you got to kind of get some, some ice practice too, and that's something that they always – are always thinking about and adjusting and figuring out the best time to do that because you teach a tired guy something he's probably not going to stick very well (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're right about that and the other thing is you don't want to overfeed them either right you give them too much stuff they don't they can't play the darn game they're thinking about all this stuff right yeah there's you know it's like having a kid i mean uh you know you at at some point you gotta let them go out and uh and go through the process of learning and and figure it out too right and pascal vincent is a really good sense of that that's one of his strengths one of his many strengths i would say uh, but it's, it's just you know an ability to say uh, i'm not going to jump on the guy every time he does this i'm going to let him go through it a few times because he's going to discover for himself why making that adjustment to his game is important or he's going to come to me and say what the hell's going on here <laughs> yeah yeah what's happening yeah uh, yeah he'll he'll want to get it right you know i, I know one example uh, a great example is kyle connor uh, everybody remembers kyle coming down uh, to the moose uh, the production wasn't there. I want to say it was something like eight goals in 32 games. Uh, but right. Kyle was a guy who really cared uh, and was very devoted. And at one point, uh, my understanding is, went into the coaches and said, "What's missing here? Like, what? I, I don't, I, you know, what what needs to happen next?" And so they went over a few things with him. And Pascal, uh, you know, will tell you to this day, uh, nobody picks up things faster than Kyle Connor. You tell him something, he goes and does it. And it was remarkable to see the changes in his game over the course of that season. I think he scored 17 goals in the last 20 games. He was like an unstoppable force. Um, yeah, and I, think I remember. Pretty, I remember that. Yeah, that was that was a crazy transformation there. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then he came up, played one game against Nashville, and scored, if I remember, remember correctly as well. Um, you know that year. So uh, you know those are great stories, and uh, and everybody has their own ways of learning and their own timeline and. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool when you see it all come together. And, uh, you know, we saw it with Jack Bostovic last year. We saw it with Kyle the year before, uh, Josh Morrissey, uh, Connor Hellebuck. I mean, uh, it's been uh, pretty special to see those guys uh, as they just, you know, make those adjustments and go through those processes and, and find themselves. Uh, they're not trying to be somebody else. They're just trying to get the most out of who they are and, and look at it, you know, the terrific pros that they turned into. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly it. Like we've been pumped. The Moose have been uh, able to pump out some real good NHL talent, which is obviously the end goal of all of this: is get those AHL or get those prospects, young prospects, ready, make them full-time NHLers. So that's good to see that the process, as as everyone likes to call it, is actually working. So it's it's very promising to see. Um, so we're pretty much wrapped up here. Um, I was just going to ask you: you you don't have to give one if you don't have time, but uh, maybe your best best story best road trip story or best story you could give me from any 
any situation or any uh any time in your career. Best road trip story. Now are you yeah, talking or, about like like a good game or something happened? Uh, no, like a funny, or? like something, yeah, something funny off the ice or you know without revealing too much, obviously that you can't or anything like that. But if you had to just just one that you would tell you would tell someone, you know, like just in a conversation if you can. Boy, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> I'm quickly editing through some other options that won't make the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh boy, I I don't know. Um, that's a tricky one. I, I I haven't had a lot of time to to consider that. Uh, I know one of my favorite stories is the is the Moose winning in, in Grand Rapids last spring in the playoffs. Um, you know, because they had won the first game here, then lost the second game badly. It was a best of five, so they go to Grand Rapids for, you know, whatever potentially three more games. But it didn't seem like after losing the second game here, and the Moose go into Grand Rapids and win the first game after getting smoked here in the second game. I, I couldn't. I did not expect that. As much as I am close to the guys and believed in them, I, I did not think they were going to win yeah. that game, <laughs> right. uh, game number three to get the upper hand in the series. And by the time game five rolled around, the fifth and deciding game, I thought they had every chance to win it, and, and they won the series. So from a hockey standpoint, that's that's the story that stands out to me and is the most, uh, you know, sort of the most noteworthy in the time that I've been with the team. As far as off-ice stuff, um, I, I don't have a, a really specific example. I'll think of one as soon as we stop this, of course. But uh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, no, I just, uh, I guess, I don't know. I, I don't want to put any, I don't want to cast anybody in a bad light. But I do remember Andre Pavlik uh, when he was a member of the Moose. And by the way, he was a fantastic member of the Moose. The guys loved him. Uh, a good guy, uh, a good teammate, uh, a guy who's very talented, as you know. Um, but I, but I do remember Andre. Uh, on the road in San Diego, uh, wanting to move on from practice and go on and enjoy the rest of the day. And I do remember him coming off at practice end and going into the room and getting changed and coming back out. And there were some young players getting in some extra work after the practice. And Andre opened the, the door to the rink and stepped out on the ice and, and hollered at them, get off the ice, it's 82 degrees outside, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds yeah. <laughs> Come enjoy the California heat while you can before you head back to Winnipeg yeah. at minus thirty up here. Yeah, at the time yeah, probably. So, you know, so that's <laughs> that. That's something that uh, you know. I I think that uh, you know young players who are concentrating on improving and and trying to get some work in and all that aren't necessarily thinking about. But Andre had been around the block a time or two, and uh, he knew that there was a nice day out there to be enjoyed and the long grind of a season and. Uh, he wasn't going to sit in the room and wait for them. <laughs> he was out of there. He came out and uh, out to the bench and let out whoever was left on the ice know it was time to get moving. It was 82 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get some sun in while we're out here. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's 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 pretty good. That's kind of what I was looking for. So that works. Oh so, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I've gotten Andre into any trouble, but he's uh, no. I'm... <laughs> he's, a good, he's a good guy. I'm sure he'd have a chuckle. Yeah, I'm sure you would. He probably remembers that too. So, uh, so that that'll pretty much uh, do it, Mitch. I, I would like to thank you for uh, taking time out of your day. I know you got a pretty hectic schedule, so uh, time out of your day to have a little chat with me. And uh, looking forward, maybe we'll get you on again at some point during the season if we can make it work. And uh, yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. Lots of fun. I appreciate it. You guys do uh, an important service to Jets fans. Yeah, perfect. Uh, thanks a lot. We'll uh, talk to you next time. You bet.